Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sunrise. Good to have you on this beautiful Sunday. And welcome to you guys online watching with us. Maybe trying to squeeze in one more getaway. The summer's wrapping up. It's a beautiful day out today. So I'm Dan. I'm the worship director here at Sunrise. It's, um, it's going to be a good day, good day today. So I'd like you guys to stand with us, actually. I'm going to in- involve all of you, engage all of you in the call to worship this morning. Um, this is, uh, I often read from the Psalms for our call to worship. So I'm going to do that again this morning, but you guys are going to read it with me. So I'm going to read, it's kind of a call and response thing. I'll read the first slide. You guys will uh, respond with the second slide. We'll go back and forth just one more time. So let's read this together. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. To, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. To the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. Amen. So we're going to be thankful this morning and use our instruments and our voices to give thanks and to worship this morning. Let's sing together. Yeah. 
crucified with you oh God what a powerful words we just sang we all long for transformation from our old selves into a person that is more like you Jesus but if we're honest most days we find ourselves back in our old habits drifting away and letting our feelings form us God when we unknowingly let offense or shame or anger drive our actions But today, God, right now, we want to hold fast to what is true, and that's your word. May we be transformed and formed by your scripture, by your truth. May it continually transform us until we submit ourselves to you, Jesus, and let ourselves die. It's what it means to be transformed, resurrected, and made new in you, Jesus. Be magnified in us, God. Amen. Why don't you guys take a seat? I'm always worried I'm not going to make it up those steps. (laughs) Good morning, Sunrise. Welcome. So good to see all of you here today and those of you joining us online. Happy that you're with us as well. Is this weather? The last two weeks not just been amazing. 
It's why we live in West Michigan is for these two weeks, I think, where <laughs> low humidity and beautiful, beautiful sunshine uh, days are fantastic. And so I like to walk, and I've been going the last less than a week, I've, or a little over a week, I've gone to Grand Haven four times just to walk that whole boardwalk area, um, which is so silly because I spend probably three gallons of gas to get there, which cost me about, carry the one, about $10. <laughs> and then I walk the whole thing, and I feel very accomplished, and then I eat two Prano Pups and an ice cream cone. So <laughs> I, I kind of I defeat the whole purpose. But I hope you all enjoy the gym that we have in, West, in uh, the Lakeshore area, Holland. And I'm sorry we never got our Sunday after church out at the beach. Now, today would be the day. I know, so we missed that, but... Welcome to all of you. Um, I want to just share a little bit of scripture from Isaiah 43, uh, 18 and 19. Uh, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Thank you, God, for new things. Thank you that we don't. He doesn't dwell on our past. We don't have to dwell on our past. I'm excited about the new things. School's starting, uh, so that's a new thing that a lot of parents are happy about. Um, the, Hudson, the Hudsonville Fair is over, which <laughs> I'm happy about, <laughs> because I live right around the corner from the fairgrounds, and between the truck pulls and the tractor pulls and the monster trucks and the motocross, I get no sleep. <laughs> so I'm happy that's over. But another new thing is Pastor Dennis Moles, who's joining us today. Um, We're so excited. He's our candidate for our new pastor, and uh, we're just really excited to have him here, and we're just excited about what what God is doing in his life and and for Sunrise. So uh, I just hope that you'll again join us in welcoming him and his family here. Um, So announcements. Uh, There's a QR code on the backs of the chairs for new guests if you want to check in on the announcements. Otherwise, you can listen to me. Uh, next Sunday, we'll be at Hager Park at 10 a.m. And Tanner, Taminga, our Tanner, he'll be uh, sharing a message with us, so we're excited about that. Tanner's not nervous at all, so just please make him feel comfortable. <laughs> um, September 11, Dennis is back, um, and that Sunday he'll share a message, and then we'll also do a Q&A uh, session time after following his message. So if you can't be here, and you'd like to submit a question, then just send it to elders at sunrisemin.org, and we'll make sure that your question gets asked. Otherwise, if you're here, then uh, elders are going to be asking some questions, but you will also have an opportunity to do the same if we don't cover your question. Um, and then September 14 is the Sunrise Students Youth Group kickoff, and I'm sure more information will go out about that. And then September 18 is our fall kickoff. So again, another new beginning. So we'll have more information coming out about that. So those are the announcements today. Uh, No kids are being dismissed today because we were going to originally be at Hager Park. So we didn't ask for volunteers. So the kids get to stay. And we've got some activities for them. But we're still going to have dismissal times, a little bit of time for you guys to uh, greet each other. Greeting time, I should say. Time for you to greet each other. Two minutes. Maybe one, because I kind of always overtake my time. So good morning and welcome, and and, uh, it's great to see all of you. Thank you. Good morning. As you are finishing up greeting one another, as you have been warned by Debbie, isn't Debbie funny? I love her. Um, my name is Dennis Moles, and uh, I am your neighbor, and am the candidate for the pastoral position here at uh, at Sunrise. And okay, these Sundays are always odd, so right there's a couple things, and I want to talk to the parents here real quick. Now, parents, you're going to be sitting here, and you're going to be feeling like everyone is going to be judging your parenting skills based upon how your children behave in the service today. Um, that is a lie from the pit of hell, and so you can't do that. You can't, you can't, can't do that. The second thing is, is children are meant to move and to be loud, and they're not going to bother me one bit, right? The big Appalachian is going to continue to read the Bible and to yell, regardless of what the children do. So just, okay, deep breath in, parents. 
Deep breath out, parents. Okay, so let's just let children be children today. Can we agree to do that? All right, let's let children be children today. And the second thing I'm going to say is mainly for me and not for you. Let's just be honest. Today's like today are weird. Where you have somebody that you don't know really standing up in front. And it's, and it's almost like, right, it's almost like we're, in a, we're in an Asian culture where there's this arranged marriage. <laughs> that mom and dad, right? So like, you know. Carol and Mike and Gina and Kate, right? They, 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 they're arranging this marriage, and the rest of you are like, I don't know. I think we can do better. He's not super handsome, which is kind of the story of my life. And, and so, so often today, on days like today, the preacher will perform, but the reality is that pastoral ministry isn't a performing art. And so my promise to you today is I'm not going to try to impress you and I'm not going to try to perform. And, and let's just not do that dance. Let's come together and I, what you need to do today is you need to seek the Lord and you need to listen to the Spirit of God and what He is saying and discern with me, is this what God is doing and what God is knitting together? As we leave this place, I'm not going to put pressure on myself to have entertained you or to have said things that maybe I think you want to hear, but my main concern is going to be, have I faithfully handled the sacred text of Scripture? And your question needs to be, God, is this what you are doing in the life of our church and in the, and in the life of the Moles family? which I'm glad that the vast majority of us are here. Uh, my daughter has abandoned me this morning uh, for a better offer. Um, she's, uh, she's actually house-sitting and uh, is at church with her boyfriend this morning, but I'm thankful uh, to have uh, my wife Amy here again with me, my son Drew and his girlfriend Alexa and my son Caleb and his fiancée Alex. And so today, um, I'm going to pray, and we're going to set all of those expectations of the dog and pony show of candidating aside and we're going to attempt to look into the text of Scripture together. Can we do that? Thank you. There's three of you that are in agreement, so we're going to take that. <laughs> Father, we are so thankful for your love. We're thankful for the worship team, Lord, and, and, and leading us into your presence. Lord, we know that you're always here, that you're always present. But, Father, we thank you when we sense your presence. We thank you for the ability to quiet ourselves just enough to, to sense you, to to meet with you. And so, God, our hope today as we look into the sacred text of Scripture is this, that we would be blown away by your Spirit, that we would, would come to this place with expectation but without agenda. And so, God, our hope is in you. You are our focus today, the object of our worship. We pray, Father, that you would be the preacher, spirit that you would move, son that you would be magnified. In the mighty and the strong and the powerful name of Jesus, we pray and God's people said, amen. amen. There are two kinds of people in this world, according to my father. There are bumper sticker folks and there are the redeemed. My father hates bumper stickers. Almost more than anything in this world, he hates bumper stickers. I was reminded of this a few days ago as I was here at the stoplight at, at, at Maine and Baldwin, and I pulled up behind this little Subaru that must have had, no exaggeration, 1,800,000 <laughs> bumper stickers on it. And I was trying to read all of these bumper stickers as I was stopped at the red light because bumper stickers give us snippets into the life of the person that is actually driving the car, right? Right? And so you, you look at the bumper stickers, right, and you're reading the, the bumper stickers, and you've got the coexist bumper sticker, and you've got a little person that looks like they're urinating on the state of Ohio on the bumper sticker, and you've got a, a, a right, you have all of these bumper stickers, and I was reminded of bumper stickers that I would see growing up, right, you would you'd drive along, and, and you would know someone was a Christian back when I was a boy, which you would pull up behind them, and you would see the God is my co-pilot on their bumper, 
right? But then somebody saw that bumper sticker and thought, well, that's not right because that bumper sticker is putting me in the pilot seat and putting God in the co-pilot seat. And then the extra spiritual bumper sticker people made a new bumper sticker that didn't say God is my co-pilot. It said God is my and then you would pull up beside the person that was especially proud of, of their student at Baldwin Street Middle School, and they would have the bumper sticker on their car that would say, my child is an honor student at Baldwin Street Middle School. Now, the reality is, in the town that I grew up in, and even around here, right, you know enough people, and so you recognize them in their cars. And half the time, those people that have those bumper stickers declaring their students as honor students, you know them, and you know their kid, and you know that's a lie. The only bumper sticker my father ever was tempted to put on his car was a bumper sticker that he found at our local Piggly Wiggly in Eleanor, West Virginia, and the bumper sticker said this, my child beat up your honor student at George Washington Middle School. (laughs) Bumper stickers, they're funny. They're funny because they make declarations for the world to see, but the reality is that a bumper sticker can't really communicate the sum total of the identity of the person who placed the bumper sticker on their car. They can only do so much. They only serve to communicate a small fraction of what is true about the owner of the sticker. We have a problem in the evangelical church, and that is this. I feel like that we are much more inclined to communicate the gospel according to bumper sticker biblical theology than we are the grand narrative of the Scriptures. You see, we don't know the Bible. We know bumper sticker biblical theology. It it, kind of goes like this. Um, I'll I'll start some of these very, very powerful, very, very familiar bumper stickers. Um, You must be born. Excellent. Bumper sticker number one. God so loved the? Bumper sticker number two. People love darkness rather than? These bumper stickers are powerful. These are the words of Scripture. They they tell us things. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people that that have said many years ago, during my first pastorate, one of my board members gave me this book, and it was by a fellow by the name of Elmer Towns. Now, Elmer Towns was an old, um, I mean old, old, like older than me, young people, old. Um, He was an old pastor, uh, theologian, and Elmer Towns was talking about his first pastorate when he was 20 years old, down in the South. And Elmer Towns, um, uh, his, his, his evangelism strategy was this. He would walk up on unsuspecting people in the town square and say, you must be born again. And they would look at him and say, I know, can you pray with me? And they would get saved. And this, this elder at my first church was like, you know, Dennis, we just need to do this. This is what we need to do in order to, I said, no, no, Ron, if I did this, people wouldn't get saved. I would go to jail. Right? But there are people that with this verse, this bumper sticker, this idea of you must be born again, it's changed people's lives. Certainly the most famous verse in all of Scripture, right? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's been a life changer and a game changer for so many of us. How many of you, that was the first verse of the Scriptures you ever memorized? Right? And the last bumper sticker, people love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. I remember my father uh, exclaiming this to a waitress because it was too dark in the restaurant when I was a child as I'm sliding under the booth. Now, now here's something that's really interesting, Um, and some of you may know this, right? This may be something that, uh, pardon me while I try to find my sermon slides again. Nope. Nope. Okay. Tanner, whatever you do will be right in my eyes. 
those three bumper stickers. Do you know who said them? One person said all of those bumper stickers. Can you guess his name? It was Jesus. It was in one conversation with a single person, a guy named Nick. Today we're going to talk about this conversation, um, about this guy named Nick, and how he wasn't blown away by bumper stickers, he was blown away by an encounter with Jesus. So in John chapter 3, which is where if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and take them there. I'm not going to put the passages up on the, scr- uh, up on the screen this morning, so if you have one of those magic little boxes that you carry around that you text and get phone calls on, you can do it there, or if you have a hard copy of the scriptures, you can look there. Uh, But we encounter in John chapter 3, in verse 1, a man by the name of Nicodemus who comes to Jesus. And these first three or so verses that we see in this passage are what a lot of times we sort of consider throwaway verses. We sort of run past them so we can get to the bumper stickers, that we must be born again, that God so loved the world and that men love darkness rather than light. But the reality is if we're going to be blown away by the truths that are communicated in those three passages of Scripture, we need to understand the context behind them. We need to see the encounter that Jesus has with Nicodemus. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Nicodemus then responds, how can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he can't enter a second time into his mother's womb. We'll never be able to truly appreciate the story behind the bumper stickers until we understand the story behind their encounter. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. This tells us who Nicodemus was and what sort of religious group Nicodemus was a part of. It tells us also that he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, this is really important. It means that Nicodemus was a person who sort of stood in the long line of those who participated and led in the Maccabean revolt. Nicodemus was a person who had a high view of Scripture. Nicodemus was a person who was very pious and lived according to the law. And Nicodemus was a person who exerted and and, and had formidable power in all kinds of ways within the nation of Israel. He had religious power. He was a religious leader. He had relational power because of who he was and where he was. He had legal power. He was a person who stood and who judged right and wrong over uh, issues that pertain to the law. Nicodemus was, if we can say it this way, a person who had substantial privilege and power within that context. You see, he was a somebody who came to Jesus who was a relative nobody apart from the fact that Jesus was gaining a substantial following because of how he was bringing the kingdom to bear around the nation of Israel. Verse 2, he says, he, Nicodemus, came to Jesus at night. Now think about this. You have a somebody who's coming to a nobody. A somebody who has all the power, who's coming to a nobody relatively, and the somebody is calling the nobody rabbi or teacher. The somebody declares that he and the other somebodies, we is the the word that's used there. I'm not distracted by that. A somebody that tells nobody that we, presumably the other teachers of the law, presumably the other powerful people, know that Jesus must be a teacher from God. Why? Because of the miraculous signs that he's doing. But why in the world would the somebody come to the nobody at night? What do you think? Why is he coming at night? He doesn't want to be seen. 
He's not sure that he wants to come out of hiding as someone who is potentially following this man, Jesus. And he says all of these nice things. How many of us would love for someone with power and someone with prestige and someone with a platform to come up to us and say, Teacher, we know that you've come from God, for no one could perform these miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with them. And what does Jesus do? Jesus shows us yet again that flattery will get people nowhere with him is he turns this conversation on its head and he literally says to this person, listen, I'm going to shoot straight with you. Nobody can see the kingdom of of God unless they're born again. What in the world is Jesus trying to communicate here? Jesus is trying to communicate something very, very important. He's trying to communicate the fact that Nicodemus thinks he knows what it means to be God's child, but he actually doesn't. You see, Nicodemus thinks he knows what it means to be a kingdom citizen, but he doesn't. Now, here's the scariest part for me, you guys. When I look at this passage of Scripture, when I look at what I do for a living, when I look at my belief system, when I look at at how I function in this world, far too often I look more like Nicodemus than I do Jesus. Far too often, I do what Nicodemus is doing, and I think in the natural rather than the supernatural, because look at what he says. He says, how can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus is thinking of earthly things. He's thinking on this plane. He's actually misunderstanding what Jesus is saying. Surely, Nicodemus says, it's physically impossible for me to go back into my mother's womb and to be born again. Now, there's there's an interesting nuance here in the Greek. This passage is actually full of nuances in the original language. And and, and the first we see is the fact that the Greek word that's translated again could also be translated and probably is better translated above. See, here's what's going on. Jesus is talking about heavenly things right from the very beginning. I think that Jesus is saying clearly what he means. Genao, born, and nothane, again, or above. Jesus is clearly saying, Nicodemus, you don't understand what's going on because you're thinking from an earthly perspective, but I've come and I'm introducing a heavenly perspective. No one can see the kingdom of heaven unless they are born from above, unless God does something for them. Now, here's an interesting thing about birth. How many of you chose your parents? How many of you chose your birthday? How many of you chose to be conceived or to be born? Not a one of us. You see, the fact birth is preceded by the choice of another always. And Jesus is telling Nicodemus this because Nicodemus, what's he doing? He's counting on all kinds of things. He's counting on his heritage. He's counting on the fact that he's the son of Abraham. He's counting on his religious adherence. He's counting on the fact that he's among the 70 most powerful people in Israel. He's counting on all of his religiosity to to make sure and to maintain and to demonstrate that he is a part of God's kingdom, one of God's children, and he thinks he knows, but he really doesn't. Because Jesus is talking of the heavenly, not the earthly. Jesus then goes on and he says this. Now, this next passage of Scripture is really, really interesting because what Jesus does is he bounces back and forth between the singular and the plural you in Greek. Let me give you a tutorial, okay? In English, we are at a distinct advantage, or at least Midwestern English. One of the great tragedies of English, at least Midwestern English, is that we don't have a plural you, Greek does, Spanish does, several languages do. They distinguish between whether you're talking to you or you. We don't do that. We just have to look at context clues and things like that. But if you listen to this or read this in the Greek, what you find is that Jesus bounces back and forth between the you, Nicodemus, and the all y'all of the Pharisees and the nation of Israel. Yes, you can tell. Okay, some people were asking me, you said you were from Jenison, but that accent's not from Jenison. No, it's not. (laughs) Folks, I was raised in Appalachia. And one of the great gifts that Appalachia gave me is it gave me a word for the plural you. So it's easier for me to read the Greek. (laughs) 
If I was raised out east, it would probably be used guys. If I was raised somewhere in Pennsylvania, Ewans. Uh, Down south in Texas, a lot of times it's just simply y'all. But where I grew up, the plural you was all y'all. Hey, why don't all y'all come over? Right? So, So listen to what Nicodemus would have heard as Jesus is having this conversation with him. So I'm going to read the passage, and then I'm going to insert some commentary and make some, some, uh, um, uh, uh, some clarifying statements. Jesus answered. This is after Nicodemus has completely misunderstood that Jesus is talking about the heavenly because, Jesus, or because Nicodemus is thinking about the earthly. Jesus answered, I tell you, Nicodemus, the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and spirit. Water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. Interestingly enough here, every time he uses the word spirit in this passage, he uses the Greek word pneuma. You, Nicodemus, should not be surprised. He's telling him, you ought to know this, but you don't, so I'm going to tell you. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying, all y'all must be born from above. Here, Nicodemus, let me illustrate this for you. Most of your translations are going to say wind. The wind, it's the word pneuma. The wind blows wherever it pleases. Nicodemus, you can't, you you hear that wind? Do you hear it? Do you feel it? Can you control it? Can you tell where it's coming from? Can you tell where it's going? Can you tell what it's going to do? No, Nicodemus, you, you experience it, but the wind goes wherever it pleases. You, Nicodemus, not everybody's getting this, but you, you're getting it. That's why you're here. You hear its sound, but you, Nicodemus, you you can't tell where it comes from or where it is, where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, you're here because someone else in love and in grace and in procreative beauty has decided that they're about to give birth to you. Come on. It's that the fact that you're here asking these questions, the fact that you're experiencing this pain, the fact that you're here trying to figure out what this means, it means that the Spirit of God is blowing. And it's about to give birth to someone that he has destined and created. Verse 9, Nicodemus, we switch back to him, he says, how can this be? I think in this moment, I think how can this be is a shift in Nicodemus' thinking because I think maybe for the first time in this conversation, Nicodemus is not thinking on this earthly uh, uh, plane, but he's beginning to realize what Jesus is saying. And in verse 10, Jesus goes back and says, you, Nicodemus, are Israel's teacher, and you, Nicodemus, don't understand these things? I tell you, Nicodemus, the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify of what we have seen, but still, all y'all do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to all y'all of earthly things, and all y'all do not believe. And how then will all y'all believe if I speak of heavenly things? You see, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he's speaking clearly about what the Spirit is doing in the life of Nicodemus. But never forget, folks, that the, the, the destiny of humanity, that God's love is not just delivered to individuals, it's delivered to the all y'all. No one has ever gone to heaven except the one who has come from heaven, the Son of Man. And here we go. Jesus is making this vertical connection. Nicodemus, you're thinking about your heritage. You're thinking about your tribe. You're thinking about everything that you've inherited on this horizontal earthly plane. But I'm talking about a heavenly birth. Just as, now here is, here, here's a beautiful shift, and I want you to keep this in your mind. 
Jesus then goes back in the Old Testament and he references an obscure story to most of us that Nicodemus would have clearly remembered and understood in its original context, but probably had no idea what Jesus was trying to say in this moment. Verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. You see, Nicodemus, he thinks he knows how God has shown his love to the world, but he doesn't. He thinks he knows what God's love looks like. He, think it looks like, he thinks it looks like the temple. He thinks it looks like the sacrifices. He, he thinks it looks like the priestly garments. He, he thinks it looks like law adherence. He, he thinks it looks like true judgment that he is making and adjudicating between the Israelites themselves. But what he doesn't realize is that all of those things are shadows to the truer and the better that's standing right in front of him. All of those things are pointing toward God's one and only Son. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Verse 16. Verse 16. The most famous verse in all of Scripture encapsulizing the gospel. We've heard it so often that, I don't know, folks, if you're like me, you hear it and, and, and you sort of automatically start to rehearse it, right? And it can lose its gravitas. But, but, but I wonder if, if it would help maybe if we sort of understood this in light of, uh, again, a nuance. I, I, the, 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 the Christian Standard Version um, of the Bible has recently started translating John 3.16 in a way that's actually, I think, better and more clear to the Greek. Our translation is fine. For God so loved the world. But probably a better way to understand this and get this, hang on to this, isn't that, well, for or because, there's a causal link here, and probably it should be translated, Jesus, imagine Jesus talking to Nicodemus, and he looks at him and he says, Nicodemus, here's, here's, where, here's where the rubber meets the road. God loved the world in this way. That's what the Greek means. God loved the world this way, Nicodemus. God loved the world this way that he sent his one and only son. And the inference couldn't be clearer. You're looking at him. You're experiencing him. It's not all the rest of this stuff. It's not all the mumbo jumbo. It's not all the hoops. But God loved the world in this way. And because of that, he didn't send me to condemn the world. He didn't send me here to announce condemnation and guilt over people that were already locked up in sin's prison. It's kind of this, this kind of an image, right? It's like, how many of you have ever, ever visited a prison or a jail? Has anybody ever been there? Creepy as heck. I'm just telling you, that night I spent, I'm, I'm serious, I know I'm joking, I didn't, Right? Right, but, but, but if you've ever been there, imagine going in to visit someone and, and they're behind bars or maybe they're behind that glass and you pick up the phone and, 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 and basically all you say is you pick up the phone and you say, you're guilty and you need to feel sorry for your guilt and you hang up and you walk out. How's that going to help? But I think for many of us, that's sort of our strategy for evangelism, isn't it? Right? We jump out at unsuspecting people and we're like, sinner, repent, and then we run away. No, but Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he's saying, what good is it going to do to pronounce guilt over someone who's already locked in a prison? No, no, no. No, the hope of the world is that we communicate to them God loved the world in this way. And he came to each and every one of us while we were in prison, while we were locked away, while we had lost all of our freedom. And Jesus comes to us and he says, I am the key that unlocks the door. I am the freedom 
that provides peace with God. You see, Nicodemus thinks he knows how God showed love to the world, but he doesn't. And what's becoming more and more clear as Nicodemus looks around at the night sky, having come to Jesus during the evening because he was afraid to be seen. He wanted to check things out before he actually came out of hiding. Nicodemus thinks he knows what it means to walk in the light, but he doesn't. Jesus declares in verse 19, after making all these statements, this is the verdict. I love that legal language, right? After Jesus just says, listen, it's not going to do any good to go and give condemnation to somebody that's locked up in a prison, just telling them that they're guilty and not telling them how, not giving them the key to to unlock their prison cell. This is then the verdict. And by doing this, Jesus declares himself to be the judge that has the authority to render verdicts. Light has come into the world. I wonder if when Jesus said that, he held his arms out and said, this is the verdict, light has come into the world. The one who was there active in creation, the one that Revelation tells us will be the light and we will need no sun in the new heaven and the new earth. Light, that light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. Do you wonder how Nicodemus would receive this? I wonder if Jesus, right, he held his arms out, light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because Nicodemus, I've talked to you about birth. I've talked to you about the heavenly. But the reality is you're here and you're here under the cover of darkness and it's an illustration that you've not stepped into the light. Why? Because you're still clinging on to the things that have you captured. Everyone who does evil hates the light And will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Folks, can I tell you one of the things that really excites me about the potential of of coming on board here and being your pastor is is this, is that one of the stated core values is authenticity. Now that's easy to say, but it's really hard to live. Because the reality is, your sin and my sin will never be dealt with until it's drug into the light, kicking and screaming. But when that happens, we have to admit that we don't have everything together. And when that happens, we are forced to ask the question, are we willing to give one another the same grace that we have received from God's one and only Son? And not just give it to one another, but when people come staggering in here under the weight of sin... Are we a place that will declare condemnation that they're already under or a place that will help them find freedom because God has loved the world in this way, that Jesus has come to provide hope and healing and freedom because whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. And the Apostle John, in this passage, closes the scene, lowers the curtain, and ends the story. You must be born again. And it happens only from the will of another. God has loved the world in this way. That you were lost. And you were running. And we were broken. And we were in need of salvation. And Jesus came looking. The reality is that each and every one of us have Those dark parts of our heart that Jesus wants to shine his light into. And it's only by looking to him that we'll find hope and life and light. I'm going to pray. I'm going to have Dan and the worship team come and they're going to to sing. 
But even though this is the end of the story, it's not quite the end of the story. But maybe the invitation this morning is this, is as we sing our last song, you guys can come on. Yeah. As we sing our last song, I, I, I want you to consider what is that thing that is inhibiting you from stepping into the light? Are you, like me, oftentimes looking more like Nicodemus than you do like Jesus? And what are the things is he calling you to lay down in order to not be a dispenser of condemnation, but a dispenser of light and love in the world that God has placed you in? Can we pray? Father, I thank you now for these friends. I thank you for this morning, and I pray, Lord, that you would just continue to be with us, that you would move among us, that you would have your will, and you would have your way. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. We are going to close the service in song and worship. But as we also sing, we'll worship by giving our tithes and offerings. And you can do that with the QR code on the chair in front of you or in the back. There's a bucket you can place that in when you leave or even during our song if you'd like. So let's, let's worship and sing together.
So remember how I told you to, to remember that little story that Jesus took Moses back to, or Jesus took Nicodemus back to, and he said, remember the snake was lifted up in the wilderness? That, that was a story, folks, of there were snakes that had gotten in the camp, and they were biting, and they were killing the Israelites. Death was among the camp of God's people, and God told Moses to do something strange and out of the ordinary that nobody really understood. He made a bronze serpent, and he put it up on a pole, and everyone who would look at that bronze serpent would live and not die. We told you that in John 3, the story ends, and, and you kind of think that's the end of the story, but it's not the end of the story. In John chapter 19, John, the old apostle, that old sneaky apostle, goes back, and he tells us that there were two men that showed up at the foot of Jesus' cross after he had breathed his last and declared that it is finished. There were two men that were secret disciples of Jesus, a rich man called Joseph of Arimathea, and our old buddy Nick. You see, on the darkest day of history where the sun was blotted out from noon till three o'clock, Nicodemus, I think, finally and fully realized and understood what Jesus was trying to teach him during that nighttime visit back in John chapter three. And in that darkness, Nicodemus stepped into the light. And he didn't step into the light because he had power because he had knowledge or because he was a somebody or because of who his daddy or who his daddy's daddy or who his daddy's daddy's daddy was he stepped into the light because he got his eyes he got his eyes off of what was going on around him and he put his eyes just like in the wilderness when they lifted up to look at that serpent i wonder if it dawned on him as jesus was being hauled on that old cross up into the air i wonder if it dawned on nicodemus as the wind blew across that hill of golgotha all those years ago I wonder if that was the moment as he looked at the Son of God when everyone else saw all hope was lost. That was the moment where Nicodemus said, I can follow no other. I can do nothing else. I am casting my lot with the rabbi from Nazareth. And even though he dies, (laughs) if we'll do the same thing, we can experience life. You see, in the end, when Nicodemus lifts his eyes up, when he declares what we have just declared together, that Jesus, this one who hung on the cross, who died for our sins, who was buried and rose again, when we look to him as the author and the perfecter of our faith, it is in that moment of darkness that we, too, step in to the light. So may we go from this place walking in his light and reflecting it to those that are around us. May we go from this place being reminded that we have been born not of our own effort or of our own desire, but from the desire of a God who created us and loved us enough to buy us back. May we go from this place, friends, having received healing from the death that has invaded the camp. May we go from this place pointing others to the one true healer who has taken away the sins of the world. Amen? Amen. Go in his peace.